Andrew always asks me to wrap it up. And I always get emotional, don't know how to wrap it up. But I will, if you have your bulletins, can you just open them for a minute? You could take out the bulletins. There's a little outline there. I want to just, I saw a couple themes that uh, come to the forefront in this uh, presentation. Also in your bulletins, you have a little offering thing. If you want to give to our congregation, you do that. But I want to just mention, I saw three themes that constantly come out in this uh, presentation. One, when you see the difficulties and the struggles and the pain, there was something that was read, and I want to read it again, because that brings out the first theme. Elie Wiesel's words are so powerful. If you ever have that book, or you should get it, and you should read it. It's a short book, about 110 pages. I would encourage you to read it, find two or three hours when you're, no one's around and read the whole book sitting down one sitting. You'll really feel like you had a part of uh, what took place. It's very moving, very emotional. But the words that set off the whole book right at the beginning, as was read before, that uh, Elie Wiesel said, never, never shall I forget that night, the first night in the camp which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things. Even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. The first theme that I see from that and why it was so difficult for Elie Wiesel, and there are real no answers. There's no answers. When, uh, when Andrew asked me to come up, I feel like it's my responsibility to give you answers. And then I come to the conclusion, I can't give you answers. It's too hard to face in our time. And yet, we've seen throughout history, God allows this to our people. And everyone always asks, why? I can't give you the answer. God said many times when our people lose sight of him, he will allow them to turn over to the nations and be at the hands of the mercy of the nations. The first theme I see here, and if you have your outlines, you could just fill that in, is what Elie Wiesel saw and what we see here in the Holocaust is not a bad God, but we see man at his worst. This is a picture of man at his worst. For Israel, for Israel, it comes out like this. Isaiah quotes... Uh, we don't have the verse up there. But Isaiah says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Man at his worst, it appears to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, that God has abandoned them. Book of Judges, we read, God says, I will not drive out the nations from before you, but they'll become as thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. And God has allowed our people 
to be at the hands of the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, the Hittites, the Hivites. And God says uh, through Judges 10, 13, you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will no longer deliver you. God tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, where we see man at his worst. God has said many times to the nations, I turned you over my people to you, and you went too far. Deuteronomy says this, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, these curses will come upon you and overtake you. God allowed our people to suffer. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 26 says, The Lord will send upon you confusion and rebuke in all that you undertake to do until you're destroyed, until you perish quickly. For your sons and your daughters will be given to another people while your eyes look on and they yearn for them continually. But there will be nothing you can do. Deuteronomy continues, Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all people from one end of the earth to the other end. And there, shall, there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. Among those nations you shall not find rest. There will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes and despair of soul, so that your life shall hang in doubt before you. And you will be in dread night and day and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, would that it were evening. At evening you will say, would that it were morning. Because of the dread of your heart, which you dread. And the sight of your eyes, which you will see. Israel saw man at his worst. Throughout history, we've seen that. There's, when we think of Israel, Israel says there's no hope. There's despair. As God allowed the Assyrians to punish them. Babylonians to punish them. The Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Titus. There's no hope for our people. The Crusades, the pogroms, the Muslims, the Turks, the Holocaust. And yet, there's another Holocaust coming for our people. The first thing I want us to think is man at his worst. When you think about Israel, this is what it looks like. Man pouring out his wrath. This is not God, this is man doing his worst. We could see man at his worst, the Bible for us as well. The book of Romans describes you and I at our worst. It describes man in Romans chapter 1. For even though they did not know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. The Bible describes man at his worst. This is us, given to impurity, so that our bodies would be dishonored among them. For man exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave us over to degrading passions. We turn from God and we get worse and worse. What we just saw here today was the picture of man at his worst. For this reason, God gave him over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the man and men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire towards one another. 
men with men, committing indecent acts, receiving their own persons a due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This is the picture we just saw. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Romans chapter 3 describes man at our worst. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in the path, and the path of peace they have not known. Colossians describes you and I at our worst. It says we're immoral, impure, greed, evil desires, idolatry, anger, lust, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and lying. When we see this picture today, we see how could this happen? And yet the Bible says we are all capable of that. Because that is man, you and I, at our worst. Though we shudder to think that is us. And the one theme here is man at his worst. We saw it. The other theme is that we saw at the end of the movie, God at his best. Everything we saw here today was man at his worst and God, God at his best. God's promise to Israel. Where was God, people say, when all this happened? Here's a verse in Isaiah 63, 9. It goes like this. In all our people's affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. God in his best promises in the midst of Israel's suffering, I make a promise to them. God will always keep his promise. We don't understand when we see how bad it gets. But we should say this is not God. This is man at his worst. But what does God at his best look like? Someone just recently when we were in Israel described the people in the Holocaust going off to the camps. If God was there, what would he have been doing? And we all thought rescuing the people, taking them out. And the other suggestion was, no, God be in there with them, walking to the camps with them. In all their suffering, God was there. He suffers with his people. God at his best promised there would be hope for Israel. It's unimaginable that a people could be suffered, suffer for thousands of years, be scattered to the ends of the earth, and yet in mercy and compassion brought back with their own language to the land. God for Israel promised his best. And we see that in Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah said, So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, wrong passage, okay. Let's go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, 
the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make them lie down in safety. God says to Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, and in justice, in loving kindness, in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God promises one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, Hosea, that after God allowed them to be scattered, suffered in mercy and compassion, he will take them back. He will betroth them to him. Hosea chapter 3, we read, After the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. God says again in Jeremiah, the great passage, Verse 31, verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. God has promised no matter what takes place, he will always bring his people back in love and mercy and compassion. And though he allows them to suffer, we don't know, always know the full extent why. God says, I will again marry them to myself. I will betroth them to me, and I will bring them back. Jeremiah 31, verse 37 says, Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, and they can't, and the foundations of the earth searched out below, they can't, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. You cannot get rid of our people. God in his mercy and love, God at his best, will bring his people back and keep his promise to them. God's best work we saw at the end of that movie. God's work for all people. Probably one of the greatest passages, I think, in the whole Bible that describes God's best. His work. Found in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in the Messiah Yeshua who although he existed in the very form of God, this passage tells us that Yeshua was God in the flesh. Not just a trim outline, but the actual presence of God on earth. And though he was God on the earth, it says, he did not regard equality with God the Father, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, poured out himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the greatness of God is that he came to earth and suffered for all our sins. And he allowed himself to suffer, just as our people suffered. In all our affliction, he was afflicted. Messiah came to suffer for us. Romans chapter 3 tells us, but now apart from the righteousness uh, the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God, being justified, man is declared righteous as a gift by God's grace through the suffering and the pain of our Messiah, the redemption which is our Messiah Yeshua whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith that was to demonstrate his righteousness 
because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward all of us, in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The amazing thing of what we see today is that man, all of us, we suffer for our own sins. But God didn't just take us out. He came here and suffered with us for our sins. He took his own punishment. And so God, in his best, we see man in his worst, God is his best, had compassion on Israel, brings them back to the land. And for us, he sent the Messiah so that we could have a relationship with God. And as it ended, Constantine came over. Not just man at his worst. And God at his best. But as Elie Wiesel said, now we have a responsibility. We must act. We must respond. Even in the face of this. What's our response? I think one of the greatest responses is found in the book of Habakkuk. It's not up there. But listen carefully what Habakkuk says. God said to Habakkuk, Babylon is coming. He's going to destroy all the land. God told Habakkuk, be ready. The Babylonians are coming. And they're going to wipe out all of Judea, all of Jerusalem. What is your response? Habakkuk says it this way. Though the figs should not blossom. Though there should be no fruit on the vine. Though the olive trees will not yield any oil. Though the fields will not produce any grain. Though the flocks will be cut off. And there will be no cattle left. Even in the midst of tragedy, Habakkuk says, Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I think Daniel puts it great. Listen carefully to Daniel's words. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, Lord God, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel lost his family, destroyed in a holocaust. Babylon was a holocaust for Israel. They were taken foreign to a foreign land. And Daniel in a foreign land says, what's my response? And he prays here. Verse 5. We have sinned. He never pointed the finger at God. And we have a tendency to see a Holocaust presentation. And we say, where was God? We're always pointing the finger. Daniel didn't point the finger. Daniel said, we have done wrong. We've committed iniquity. Acted wickedly and rebelled. Even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. The next slide, verse 7. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is today. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us. That's hard for us to say when we're suffering. Yet the response that we have to say when we see man at his worst, and God at his best. I am wicked and you are righteous. That's our response. 
God is always good. God always does right. And that's hard. He says, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion, forgiveness, for we have rebelled against you. The psalmist says it this way, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though the earth should quake, and we in California understand that, Though the earth should quake and the mountains slip into the sea, God is with us and God is my stronghold. And Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's our response. And that might be hard. But that's what the great people, of uh, men and women of God say. God is good. Man is unrighteous. And finally, what's our action? As Elie Zell said, we need to take action. Our action here as believers, it says to us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are his ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of the Messiah, be reconciled, turn back to God. Our response is, God is righteous, we are not. Our action, you go out and tell people. Believers too often are indifferent. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Bye-bye to the rest of the world. We have a responsibility. We have to say God is righteous. We are not. And go out and tell them what God did at his best. He sent the Messiah for us so we could have a relationship with him. I like the way Luke concludes here. Luke 24. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Matthew says this, Go therefore into all the world, immersing, making disciples, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making people believers. That's our job. We are called to that because God is faithful and will always keep his promises. We need to trust and believe in him. God is our hope. Yeshua said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Unless you believe that I am he, he says, you are lost in your sins. Unless you believe. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. When we see tragedy and evil, say this, that's man at his worst. That's us. When we see tragedy and evil, that's man at his worst. We look at God at his best. The Bible tells us God will always keep his promises to his people and to us. That's why he sent Messiah. Our response You are righteous. We are sinful. Our action, go out and tell the world God has reconciled us to himself through the death of our Messiah, Yeshua. Let's bow together for prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are righteous and we are not. And though you are faithful and you always keep your promises, we should be able to trust and believe you and share that message with the lost world. Lord, we don't always have answers, 
for the tragedies we see all around us. Yet in faith we can say you are always good. And what should we do is trust in you and believe. So Lord, we want to commit this time to you. We pray that you touch our hearts and draw us closer to you. That in all our affliction, you are afflicted. You are with us in our suffering. So you would give us a hope for the future. We ask you that you bless this time now. Speak to our hearts. For we ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen. This time we're going to be dismissed. You can continue looking at the posters there. Could you just stand? We want to conclude with the benediction. Take your time as you look at those posters. And let's just close with a benediction. Yo er Adonai Ponavalecha Bechuneka Yeserdenai Ponavalecha Bechusem Lecha Shalom The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. B'Shem Yeshua Meshichenu Baruch HaBaba Shemelanai Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in our Messiah Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.